I encourage you now to take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians as we continue our verse-by-verse exposition of this book. Tremendous book here. And uh, we will do what Ezra did when they found the book of the law. We will read it and interpret it so you could understand it. That's what we call expositional teaching. Today we have come to chapter 15. This is our 38th message, 37th and 38th. We still got to make, we lost track of the number. Uh, This is our 38th message on this book. And it's a tremendous chapter that we've come to today. That's why we called it the resurrection, the bedrock of Christianity, or the bedrock doctrine of Christianity. Now, Paul's problems with the Corinthians didn't only have to do with the unloving way they used their spiritual gifts and treated one another. We've discussed this in previous messages. But he also had to deal with them from a doctrinal point. If you remember way back in chapter 2, he had to explain the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because believe it or not, they they forgot the essence of the meaning of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's a, another bedroom, bedrock doctrine, as we call it. He comes now to do the same thing in chapter 15 concerning the resurrection. He has to explain to them once again the fundamental truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have neglected to maintain in their lifestyle their belief on the First, the death of Christ with the cross, and now with the resurrection. They seem to have neglected doctrine. And you know that's also true today. The church in general is neglecting sound doctrine. The church seems to be eager to go shopping for fast food when it comes to spiritual instruction, rather than the solid meat of the word. And you can see that in the way Christians are growing. They're not. They're stunted. One of the things that really challenged me just a few days ago, a few weeks ago, was I got a letter from one of our young people who is away in school. And she said, Pastor Lee, did you ever talk about the baptism of the Spirit and speaking in tongues? She says, because I had a wonderful experience this weekend. I received the Spirit because I was baptized with him and I spoke in tongues. Do you all teach that? Now, to me, that's an amazing thing for a young person to ask us that question because we do teach on those things. But it tells me that just because we preach on it doesn't mean that the people, even our young people, are receiving it. And somehow we got to focus on that again. That's why one of my concerns here as a pastor is to be sure that our young people are taught doctrine before they go to the schools because their faith is tested when they get into the universities and the colleges and so on. In fact, right now, we're trying to see if we could uh, take our doctrinal statement and turn it into a Sunday school curriculum so we could teach our young people. That's what we're about to do right now. But Paul is explaining now in this chapter the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their everyday life. And we're going to be looking at that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 
First Corinthians chapter 15. I've called it the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the church's bedrock doctrine. Now, in essence, he's saying in this chapter, in this chapter here, this is the most important thing as a Christian that you can focus on. This is where the tire hits the road when it comes to Christianity. If you don't understand this doctrine, if you don't believe it, you're still lost. And he says, even the Christian, if you don't really understand it, you will not be able to live the kind of life that God wants you to live as a believer. And so what he's actually saying in this particular chapter can be summarized in this fashion. To have a complete understanding of our eternal hope, we could say eternal security if you want, we must not only believe in Christ's death for our sins, but also in his bodily resurrection. It's amazing how many Christians just focus on the death of Christ. Now, we need to do that, but that's not the whole gospel. Paul is saying we must also focus on the bodily resurrection. Now, the emphasis is on his bodily resurrection, because that is what he is trying to prove in this chapter, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's read the first 11 chapters together. It's on the screen. Let's read it together, please. Verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren, one at a time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I it even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So he preached, and so you believed. Let's look at the passage then, verse by verse, to explain this important, this vital bedrock doctrine of Christianity. Notice how he begins. He's going to try to make one point in these verses right here. And that is that the gospel that the Corinthians believed in to be saved included the message that Jesus was raised from the dead. He's trying to underline that point. That the gospel they believed in to be saved included the message that Jesus rose bodily from the dead. Now, he's saying, let me explain to you the gospel that I preached to you and that you believed and now stand in as a Christian. If it was not true in all of its aspects, then you believed a worthless and a useless gospel. You just cannot believe one part of it and be saved. You have to believe all of it if you are to be saved. He says, if that's not the case, then you are still in your sins. He's going to demonstrate that point as you go through the passage. 
So he's saying that the gospel that the Corinthians believed in to be saved included the message that Jesus was raised from the dead bodily. So he says, let me remind you of the fundamentals of the gospel. That's important for us to understand. Because many people have received the gospel, perhaps that's not from God, but came from man. And Paul is going to explain that his gospel that came from God is a gospel that included the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that you must have placed your faith in that as much as you place your faith in his death, or else you're still in your sins. That's Paul's point in this passage. Let's look at it very closely. First, he says the gospel's message is a divinely revealed message. He says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. We have to find out where he received that gospel from. Because some people received the gospel from man. Paul is going to show that he received his gospel from God. And what he's saying here is that I simply passed on to you what I had received. Now, he demonstrates where he received his message in Galatians. And it's important for us to look at the passage here. His version of the gospel, he's saying, is the only true gospel. If you don't preach my gospel, he says, you're preaching another gospel, a gospel that cannot save. Notice what he says in Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 1. He says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached, to, which was preached by me is not according to man. That the source is not man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is making a point here. His message is divine in its origin, divine in its source. In its source. If you read Galatians, you'll find that he went to lengths, great lengths, to demonstrate that he didn't even receive the message from Peter or any one of other apostles in Jerusalem. He did not receive it from man, he said. He received it from God. Now, Paul goes a step further when he talks about the need to preach his gospel, his version of the gospel. Notice what he says here. But even if we, that's the editorial V, that means me as an apostle or the other apostles. If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, the idea which you received from me, he is to be accursed. These are strong words. Literally, we could translate this as saying, if there's someone who's preaching a gospel that's different from the one I preach, let him be consigned to hell. Literally, it says that. Let him go to hell if he's preaching another gospel. If you believe another gospel other than what Paul preaches, that's where you're headed anyway. Paul is very strong here. If you preach that you are saved by works, that's another gospel. Paul is saying that gospel cannot save. In Galatians, he is making the point that you're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Now, here, he's making the point that Jesus arose bodily from the grave. And the reason why he's stressing the bodily part of it, as we'll see, is because that identifies him as a man as well as God. He was not just a spirit that arose but he arose bodily. And so Paul says, it's necessary for me 
to explain the fundamentals of the gospel to you so you could be sure that you were saved, that you were believing the right gospel. In actual fact, we get asked a question, and this is what Paul asked in Galatians. I got my gospel from God. Where did you get yours? You see, many people who are saved, they're not saved because they are believing a gospel that's not complete. It didn't come from God. It only came from man. First, he says, Christ died for our sins. In other words, the death of Christ was a substitutionary death. He did not die for his own sin. He knew no sin. Jesus Christ was sinless. The wages of sin is death, yet Jesus died although he did not sin. His death is a substitutionary one. As you've heard me said, say again and again, to believe that Jesus died is history. That does not save you. But to believe that he died for you, that leads to salvation. That's substitution. You cannot have a valid, authentic gospel unless you teach the substitutionary death of Christ. Not only that he died, but that he died for you. You see, when you acknowledge that, you're also acknowledging what? You're acknowledging that you're a sinner. And the only people who can be saved are those who acknowledge that they're sinners. If you believe that you're good enough to go to heaven without having to depend upon the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you'll never be saved. Jesus didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. And the only way you can get into heaven is by acknowledging that you're a sinner. And Jesus died in your place and rose again for you. Christ died, I say again, is history. Believing that fact does not save you. But believing that he has died for you is salvation. Second, note that his substitutionary death for sinners was taught in the Old Testament. The gospel is something that was taught throughout history. If you look at the Old Testament, Paul is saying here, you'll see that the Old Testament taught about the substitutionary death of Christ. You could go to Isaiah 53 for that. All of the blood sacrifices that were demanded by God of Israel was pointing towards the death of Jesus Christ. The death of the animals represented the death of the people. Rather than the people dying, the animal was killed. All of this showed the truth of the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. It was according to the scriptures. So this is the first thing you've got to understand. The authentic gospel is a gospel that is validated both in the Old and the New Testament. Jesus said, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And what? They are they which speak of me. Remember the story in Acts 8, when the Holy Spirit took Philip out in the desert and led him to the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading the scriptures. And we find out that he was reading from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53. That's the substitutionary death of Christ. And the Bible says, Philip began at that point, book of Isaiah, and preached unto him Jesus Christ. The authentic gospel is validated in both the Old and the New Testament. Christ died for our sins. It's a substitutionary death. 
And if you have never acknowledged that you're a sinner and that you need the death of Christ to free you from the penalty of sin, then you're not saved. You say, well, I was baptized. Fine, but you're still not saved. You're a member of the church. Fine, but you're still not saved. You have to acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner. Many people today don't understand that you cannot be saved unless you acknowledge that you're a sinner and that you fear spending an eternal separation from God in hell. Many people come to Christ and say, yeah, I came into Christ, I walked down the aisle, I signed a paper because I was in a financial mess. Coming to Christ to save you from a financial mess does not save you from hell. Coming to Christ to save you from a marital problem might save you from a marital problem, but will not save you from hell. What you need to be saved from hell is to acknowledge that you are a sinner and Christ died in your place in order to save you from an eternal separation from him. Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. That's one of the first important vital, vital elements of the gospel. And that he was buried. A lot of people say, why is that? In the, do I have to believe that Christ was buried? Well, the fact that he was buried simply validates the fact that he died. You don't bury a live person. And you see, Christ had to die. But he also had to be raised again. And you cannot be raised again if you didn't die in the first place. So his burial was the validation of his death. Christ died. He didn't swoon, as many people teach today. He died and was buried. Died and was buried. But then he goes on. Something else is an important element of the gospel. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. His resurrection is a vital part of the gospel. In fact, without it, Paul is saying there is no gospel. Now, again, this was also validated in the Old Testament. If you read Psalm 22 very carefully, final verses, you'll see that it talks about the resurrection. There's a big, in my opinion, there's a big misunderstanding of Jesus' words when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It gives the idea that Jesus was abandoned. God left him alone. But if you go to the end of the chapter, you'll see that he clearly says that that's not so. He said, he heard my cry and he delivered me. That's the resurrection, you see. And the Old Testament teaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The story of Noah is a, is a symbolic illustration of the resurrection. Jesus Christ himself said so, didn't he? As Moses was in the stomach of the fish for three days, three nights, so must the Son of Man be? What did I say? Jo- Jonah. I was trying not to say whale, but I said Moses instead. Um, where was I now? Jonah, see here, belly of the whale. I didn't want to say whale. The belly of the fish represent his resurrection. Isn't that right? His death and resurrection. So Jesus taught that himself as well. So, the resurrection was also validated and taught in in the Old Testament as well. But now, Paul didn't stop at the scriptures. He went on to talk about other witnesses that could validate the resurrection of Christ. And it has to do with those 
who saw him after his resurrection. Now remember this, nobody saw his resurrection. Nobody. But they saw him after his resurrection. Notice as we go through this verse. He appeared specifically and personally to Peter or Cephas. Now, as you know, he was the one who betrayed him. But this gives us hope. See that even though we fail at times, Jesus never abandons us. And this is a tremendous compassionate uh, note here where Paul says that Jesus personally and specifically appeared to Peter. Then he says he appeared to more than 500 brethren. Now that means sister in two. That's the word that means men and women. At one time. Paul is saying some of them are alive right now so you can validate what I'm saying. Check on it. That's what he's saying. Some have died, he said, but there are many who are still alive so you can validate the fact that they saw Jesus Christ after his resurrection. Then he said he appeared to James also. Now, this is undoubtedly his half-brother. This is an amazing thing here. Up to the point of Jesus' death, none of his family believed that he was the Messiah. None. Somebody say maybe Mary did. But none of his half-brothers or sisters did. But after the resurrection, you find that James is a leader in the church. He becomes a leader. So the strong implication is that James probably became a believer because he saw his resurrected brother. And that led him to place faith in him as Messiah. But he appeared to James in his resurrection form. And that was probably the thing that led James, his half-brother, to place faith in Jesus. Then it says he appeared to the twelve. Now you've got to be careful here. Because there were not twelve apostles at that time as we know them. Because Judas was missing. But that was a name that was given to these original close followers of Christ. The twelve. It was a, like an official name. And although there were not twelve in it, they were still called the twelve. But now here is something else that is a little interesting. Then he appeared to all the disciples. And notice it said to the twelve and then to all the apostles rather. Now, this seems to indicate that there were other apostles other than those we call the twelve. And when you read some of the epistles, like Romans at the end, you'll find that some of them were named, actually named. So there were other apostles other than the twelve. But Paul is making a point here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, just like his death, can be validated. You see, what you have to believe is that the gospel is not something you believe in with a blind faith. That it has no concrete evidence. That's not true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is based on facts. Historical facts which are interpreted theologically. For instance, Jesus Christ died. Historical fact. Here is the revelation. He died for you. But both of them are facts. The theological fact is based on a historical fact. Jesus died. But God reveals it in his word that he died for you. Same thing with the resurrection. Jesus was raised. How, we, how do we know that? Because the Old Testament teaches it, the New Testament teaches it, yes, but also he was seen by thousands of people. So it could be validated. It could be validated. My point is this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is based on concrete, objective truths, not mere made-up, hoped-for fancies. Saving faith 
is not blind or baseless belief, but rather it is based on solid historical truth, revealed truth about these historical realities. So don't let anybody fool you by saying that the Christian faith is based on blind faith. That's not true. It's based on historical facts that are theologically or divinely interpreted by God himself in the scriptures. Now, Paul goes on to talk about Jesus appearing to him. He says, he appeared to me last of all. Now, this does not mean here that necessarily that Paul was the last person who saw Jesus after his resurrection, because we don't believe this is true. What he means is, last in this list that I'm giving you right now. That's what he's talking about, last in the list that I'm giving you. Now notice he says, one untimely born. That's quite an interesting statement. Now you animal lovers know sometimes when you have your dog giving birth to a lot of puppies, sometimes the last one comes out and he looks like he's half dead. They call him a runt, right? Or something like that. Because he doesn't look like he's going to come. Well, that's what Paul is calling himself here. Among the apostles, he's a runt. He, was in, he didn't seem to be a part of the twelve as it was. But nonetheless, he was an apostle. He did see the resurrected Christ. He said the reason why him calling himself a runt in the litter is because he persecuted the church of God. And we know the story how Jesus met him on the road. As a result of this uh, supernatural event, Paul came to place his faith in Jesus Christ. And he says that uh, I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. He magnifies the grace of God in his life. Elsewhere he's going to say is if, what he says in effect, if God saved me, he can save anyone. Because he called himself the chief of sinners, you see. And this is a note of hope here again. No matter what your spiritual condition may be today, no matter what it is that you might have done in the past, no matter the kind of life you've lived, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ because you realize that he died in your place and he was raised again for your justification, you can become a child of God. Salvation is by grace, not by works or by our deserving it. We cannot deserve or earn our salvation. It comes because of the grace of God. Paul says his grace toward me did not prove vain or useful or unprofitable. Unfortunately, there are probably many Christians who cannot say this. Where God's grace has proven to be profitable because your life was turned around and you're living now to honor and to glorify him. But you're still going on living like the Corinthians, selfish, arrogant, boastful, pride, causing splits and all kinds of stuff. Paul is saying here the grace of God doesn't lead people to do those kinds of things. The grace of God is to be magnified in our life when our life is turned over to him and we allow him to reign in our lives on an ongoing daily basis. That's why Paul could say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Many people, many Christians cannot say that. 
They'd be ashamed to say that because their life had not changed. But Paul, the chief of sinners, could say it because his life was completely revolutionized. His point is, if Christ was not raised from the dead to these believers, your belief in what we preached is useless. This is the point he's trying to make here. Notice he says, so we preach and so you believe. Paul preached the grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel as being the motivation for the gospel. Paul preached that Jesus died in our place. Paul preached that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. You see, that also proved his humanity. Jesus was a man. He was the God-man. That's why Paul is emphasizing the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death proved that he was the God-man because he was raised again. Paul says later on in the chapter, uh, actually earlier in chapter 1, that he was raised by the power of God, you see, to the, and he was declared to be the Son of God as because of that resurrection. And so he says, so we preach and so you believe. This is the message. And included in the message that we preach to you was the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. You believe that message. Now Paul is going to apply this personally. He is going on in the verses to show that that's the message you believed in. Now if you deny the resurrection, then you've thrown away the gospel and you're saying that you're not saved. Let's look at the next verses. Where he talks about the consequence of human resurrection of the dead. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, in other words, if we preach that, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now notice, contextually he's not talking about the resurrection of Christ. He's talking about the resurrection of the, of the dead um, as a concept, as a teaching. In other words, the resurrection of human beings is what he's talking about. How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead generally? Because what Paul is going to argue, if there's no resurrection of the dead generally, then Jesus didn't rise. Why? Because Jesus was a human being. And if there's no resurrection of human beings, then Jesus did not rise from the dead. And if he did not rise from the dead, you're still in your sins. Notice, if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Again, this validates the fact that Jesus is a man. He's human. And he's saying here that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is hinges on the fact that there will be, or there is, a resurrection of human beings themselves. Jesus Christ, as a man, rose from among the dead. Now, we're going to go into that later on to talk about the difference of rising, the raising of the dead and being raised from the dead. Here, he's talking about the resurrection of dead. All people will be raised. But when he talks about Christ's resurrection, he's talking about the resurrection from the dead. Because he was the only one who was raised, you see. Now, as I said, this establishes the humanity of Jesus Christ. So that's another aspect of believing the gospel, by the way. To believe that Jesus was a God-man. Not that he was God only, but that he was the God-man. Not only that he was a man, but that he was the God-man. That's what the gospel teaches. Now, 
Paul goes on to show the consequences of Christ not being raised. The consequences of there not being a general resurrection is that Jesus wouldn't be raised. But now he goes further. The consequences of Christ himself not being raised from among the dead. He says in verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then first of all, our preaching is useless. Without worth, without profit is the meaning of vain. It has nothing in it. It's just a bunch of hot air. You see, now many of us as preachers do that, preach hot air. But he's talking about the gospel here. Paul says, if our preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true, then it's useless. Our preaching is vain. Our message is without profit. Based on that, he's talking especially about the message that he gave to the Corinthians. Your faith is also vain. That follows. If the message you believe in is without profit, then your faith in that message leads to the same profitlessness. It's no use. It's just a bunch of hot air. Your our preaching is without use. Your faith is also without profit. So it's important to be sure that the message that you place your faith in is accurate. That's why I believe in some of the things I hear is the gospel preaching. A lot of people respond to the people are not saved at all because the message that was given was not accurate. And no matter what kind of faith you have, if you place it in the wrong message, you're still lost. You see, that's Paul's focus here. Then thirdly, uh, he says, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. In other words, we are proved to be charlatans ourselves. We are heistus, chistus. Why? Because as preachers, we testified against God that he raised Christ. In other words, we said that he raised Christ. But if Christ was not raised, then we are liars. Whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. That's his point. If there's no resurrection of human beings, then Jesus Christ was not raised. Why? Because Jesus is a human being. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. Now, I want you to understand this. Many people talk about their faith saving them. Your faith cannot save you. What saves you is who you place your faith in or what you place your faith in. You see, Paul is saying if the message is wrong and you place your faith in it, your faith is worthless. It was without profit. It will not save you. He goes on to emphasize that. And before he says, you are still in your sins. If there's no resurrection of the dead, there's no resurrection of Christ, you're still in your sins. But how can we, Paul, be still in our sins if we receive the message you preach? Well, my message included the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you believe that message and there is no resurrection, as some of you are saying, then my message was erroneous, and your faith is useless. It doesn't work. No matter how strong that faith is, no matter how sincere that faith is, it's in in an erroneous message, and so you're lost. See, this is the importance of us receiving truth, authentic biblical teaching, because if we don't believe right, we're not going to live right. It's important to understand this. True Christianity is based on a true understanding of the Christian message. That's what Paul's saying. 
He goes on. He says, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And he says, the loved ones who died with faith in the message we preach, faith in Christ, they're lost. They're on their way to hell because they believe the false message. And so any hope you might have to see them or that they will be in glory is gone if Jesus was raised from the dead. And notice verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. He's saying our faith in the true gospel, authentic gospel, is not only a gospel that fits us to live on earth, but also to live in glory. And if our message is false, then listen, amongst all the people in the world, the Christians are the most to be pitied because they have believed in an erroneous message, a message they claim to be the truth and the only truth. And so he's very forceful here. When you see the whole context, the importance of believing the true message, the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. And so like Paul, we have to ask everyone. Paul got his message from God, not man. Where did you get yours? You say, well, how can I really discern where I got my message? gospel message from. Look at your life. You said you placed faith in Christ some years ago. Is there any difference in your life? Or are you still a bitter person, still an angry person? You're still a covetous person. You're a person who is not growing at all. You don't appreciate the word of God, especially the meat of the word. You're not growing. There's no real radical change in your life. You you could work with people for years and no one will know that you're a Christian. Well, you've got to ask yourself, where was the source of my gospel? Was it man's gospel or was it God's gospel? Paul's gospel. That's important. Is your faith in the right message? The genuine, authentic message. Paul is going to show, he's already shown, that when we receive that message, the true message, we demonstrate love to our brothers and sisters. That's what chapter 13 was all about. We demonstrate love towards those who are members of the body of Christ. And a love that is not envious, a love that is not um, in any way vengeful or tries to retaliate for hurt or pain or whatever it is. When you believe the authentic gospel, it changes your life. That's what Paul, the point Paul is going to make in his life. So let me conclude this message then with the same question. I got my message from God. I got my gospel from God. Where did you get yours and how can you validate your answer? Now anybody who knows me from when I was a young man would know that my life has changed. Can they say the same thing about your life? That's the important thing. I don't say, well, I mean, you know, I gave my, I wrote my name down, I walked down the aisle. None of that saves you. That's all, that, a lot of that is only emotion. None of that saves you. What saves you is genuine belief in the authentic gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what saves you. And you could say, well, I put my faith in Christ by walking down the aisle, signing my paper, and I've been coming to church ever since. That is not proof or evidence or enough, I should say, 
that you have really received a genuine message. It's whether or not your life has been radicalized because you believe that the resurrected Christ is living now in you to demonstrate what he's like to the world. I got my message, my gospel from God. Where did you get yours? Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. It's so clear and simple for us if we would simply take time to read, to study, and to understand it. We pray that your Holy Spirit might use your word now and cause it to find good soil in our hearts. And we know that it will be good soil because the fruit that will come will be fruit that honors and glorifies the triune God the fruit of a transformed life. Lord, help us, we pray, to examine ourselves, to be sure that our gospel is a gospel that has its source in God and not in man, so that our faith is authentic and not vain or useless. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.